Hi, and welcome back to the Apprentigo podcast. My name's Hayda, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Carlo. Let's meet our first guest. For audience watching at home, Amina is what we call a chocolate connoisseur. Now, you might think, how does that work? Well, before we get into the chocolate connoisseur stuff, tell us what you was doing at school from 13 to 16 years old? Well, first of all, I like to go by professional chocolate taster. <laughs> but um, I actually work in sales for a company called Mondelez. So working with a lot of different bands like Cadbury's and Oreo um, and even some international brands like Toblerone. And if I kind of take that right back to my school days and where the sort of journey started, probably around like GCSE time. And for me, um, when I was doing my GCSEs, um, didn't actually have too many challenges. Found it quite easy, straightforward, not in a way to like brag or anything, and you'll see why um, <laughs> in okay. a second. But yeah, it was a fairly straightforward process for me. So I kind of left GCSEs having like a certain level of confidence in my ability. And I really just felt like A-levels is going to be easy. It's going to be straightforward, just as straightforward as GCSEs were. <laughs> yeah, I was sort of wrong, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, so I started sixth form wasn't too bad in the beginning but like I fairly quickly realized that mm. I was gonna have to put in a lot more work it wasn't just a case of like revise the week before exams mm -hmm. it was the fact that I'd have to put in those extra hours which was fine like initially but unfortunately like just right before the kind of COVID pandemic um I ended up going through quite a few personal trials um mm. a lot of stuff happened in my personal life and mm -hmm. Like ultimately it had a massive knock-on effect um, on my mental health which really declined um, and as I said this was like prior to the pandemic so um, it kind of just almost made everything slightly worse um, yeah. I slipped into about two years of very severe clinical depression mm -hmm. um, and like with COVID and everything it just made it so much more easier to like fully isolate myself yeah um, and just like not interact with the outside world because even though my attendance wasn't great at the time it was about 38 percent which is fairly low um it just kept dropping even more um and yeah it just made it so much easier to be away from a classroom environment away from my teachers and sort of hide away from facing the consequences um and like naturally obviously my grades declined as well um which i found very tough to deal with <laughs> i was one of those people that definitely based a lot of my value on yeah. like academic success mm -hmm. um i don't know if you guys have ever felt the same yeah i yeah. definitely relate to that feeling um again talking from experience being from like the asian community as well obviously you're especially when you're a first generation uh, immigrant your parents have obviously made a lot of sacrifices for you to even have an education in the uk <laughs> and you are constantly mindful of the fact for example with me of my cousins who would be in a village who would do anything to even have access to the opportunities that I had just literally by being born in the UK. So I always felt this um, gratitude but pressure as well to perform academically mm -hmm. because you feel like your parents have basically upped their whole life. What are grades in comparison to that when you zoom out? But obviously it's very stressful what A-levels are. They're very challenging. So I completely empathise with that point of feeling like you need to perform academically. And particularly when you've been a high achiever at a young age, mm. your self-worth can... Not not that anyone's explicitly said you're only valuable because of your grades. Sometimes the line gets blurred and you assume that people only like you or you are who you are because of the grades. Mm -hmm. And without that, you lose a part of yourself. So I, com I completely... That's so relatable, yeah. honestly. Like, I felt exactly the same. Like, for so long, I'd base so much of my self-worth on, like, my academic mm. achievements. And suddenly when you don't have that, it's almost like am I really like good at anything mm. and then like to kind of add to that with like my ongoing mental health issues I was always one of those people that was like 
like mental health like yeah sure you can just snap out of it like mm. if you if you're depressed like just get up and just go but it didn't it wasn't like that at all mm. like at a certain point that mental block and that barrier just isn't um like sufficient enough to kind of break you out of it 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 affects you physically to the point that you become physically unwell and that was the case for me um and I had some really really tough conversations at that time and like my head teachers and sort of like teachers at sixth form said like you know I think you should drop out this isn't this isn't helpful for you it's not helpful for us like obviously it was going to bring their grades down overall like the average um fairly small sixth form so yeah they weren't too keen on me continuing the course there was just something in me that just thought that like I can't give up like even though I've failed in my mind mm-hmm. or like I've gotten this far and I haven't done enough there's still something that tells me that I can continue Add, adding to that like mm. I think a lot of people don't realize the stress that can go through with depression and I feel like depression is a word that is thrown around a lot mm-hmm. It's one of the things that they say one in three adults in the UK are diagnosed with depression. But when you look at people who are now adolescents that go through their exams and have a big change and stuff happens to them, it's really, really difficult. Like me personally, like I was homeschooled at 12. But before that, my attendance in school was like 48%. Mm. They, similar to you, even when I was in primary school, were basically saying to my mum, we're going to take you to court. We're going to put you in prison because your child is not going to school and it has a whole knock-on effect to the whole family. So I 100%. really, really sympathise with you. And it, it's also the fact that the way the schools are or, or were, because it may have changed since I was there, if you're not hitting your quota, then you're no use to them. Mm-hmm. And you realise that quite quickly because it's a game, right? And if you're not going to be doing good at the game... They'll want you to stop playing. And that's a really hard thing to come to, especially like going into the A-level environment because you think, right, okay, I've done GCSEs. I know what I'm doing. And it's such a massive shock. So I really, really commend you for that. And going into your story is really, really interesting from what I know and what the viewers are going to find out because I've just got to ask off the back of that. Like, yeah. What advice would you give to say someone who is feeling very mentally slash manically depressed at 16 17 18 mm-hmm. years old and they're going to school like what what would you say is a good rule of thumb like what what helped you personally yeah get out of that sure so for me i think the biggest thing is seek help seek as soon as you can really um and that's something that I was very in denial for a long time of my circumstances and just everything that I've been through um to the point I couldn't accept that I was depressed and it was only my friends reaching out to me and saying look you haven't contacted us in months like what's going on you need to you need to speak to us that I really realized right I need to do something like I'm wasting my life away I can't accept that this is who I am and this is what my life's going to be there's something more than this out there um so yeah number one thing seek help and be as persistent as you can because it's unfortunately really difficult um to get your voice heard in those kind of situations because unfortunately there isn't a great amount of um, resources out there that can support young people through that um so yeah be as persistent as possible um and I think for me when I had that realization initially um it took maybe like a a couple of conversations with my teachers and just being really super transparent about how I felt 
um, for them to then like turn around and say, right, we can make certain provisions for you and we can see how this goes forward and you can obviously give it your best shot and we'll see what the outcome is. So yeah. there was probably about four to five months left of year 13 and I just thought like I've not been here for probably three quarters of the entire course, like this isn't going to be possible. Um, and then it was announced on the news that um, A-level exams were going to be cancelled and it was going to be purely based on teacher assessed grades. So my business teacher at the time, he kind of turned around to me and he said, like, look, you've still got a chance. You're going to have to work really, really hard for the next four or five months. But if you can build up an evidence portfolio, mm -hmm. we can give you a grade. And I just thought at the time I was like, the predicted A's and A stars just flew out the window. I was like, as long as I get something, just something to kind of take on forward and just do what I wanted to do. Um, and it was around that time that I kind of restarted researching um, degree apprenticeships. And I actually came across the one that I'm at today, um, so at Mondelez. Um, and it was something that I was really super interested in. So I've always had a bit of an interest in the food and beverage industry, and purely for the fact I love cooking, love baking. Mm -hmm. So it was just right, like it was perfectly aligned with my interests. Mm -hmm. Really enjoyed business, or I want to do some kind of business degree. Um, so I remember I came into him at one lunchtime, and I said, like, this is something that I really want to do. Um, and he sort of looked at me and he said, like, yeah, okay, we'll have a conversation about it, we'll see. But I could tell, like, he didn't have the most hope in me, which was really crushing at the time, because mm. he was one of my biggest supporters. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I thought, like, okay, in my head, I thought, okay, I'm really determined to prove him wrong. I'm determined to prove everyone I know wrong. Because yeah. at that point, nobody really understood what I was going through. And I think to this day, some of my friends really struggle yeah. um, to comprehend, because to them, I just shut them out for two years. Mm -hmm. And to my family, it was just I didn't talk or didn't eat or didn't really socialise with mm. anyone. But it's how you perceive it at the time and exactly and i feel like depression can make us incredibly selfish about us being aware of that mm -hmm. um me personally i've had bad bouts my mother is manically depressed has been mm -hmm. her whole life and it's the fact that you do isolate yourself but you do it in a sense not to hurt others you yeah. want to protect yourself exactly. and everyone around you but i feel like you know it's really difficult when you're in school because you think, okay, I see these people every day. Why are they not talking to me? What's going on? And then it's like you you get worse. The more it's like a endless rabbit hole, and the worse you get down. And sometimes you do need that help. Mm -hmm. And having good friends around you, like you're very lucky. Yeah. But that's good. It's good to be lucky. It's not a bad thing. Hundred percent. Because you know you have a voice and you're sharing it, and so much respect and i can relate to and i'm sure hayda can to teachers not having faith in you especially with degree apprenticeships yeah. right yeah because i'm like what's <laughs> what's this we had a conversation the other day about like going to a careers um your careers advisor at your school sixth form college and they're like oh well you shouldn't do a degree apprenticeship well how can you give advice if you've never done one because mm. not many people have completed them and yeah you know like going going a little bit ahead like with your degree apprenticeship, do, do you feel now, the person you are, that the working world caters to your mental health or how, how would you go about that? A hundred percent. I think that's probably part of the reason why I chose to go down this route. It was very early on that I realised that the education system mm -hmm. just wasn't like nurturing me in the right way. Mm -hmm. It wasn't catering to my needs and it just wasn't flexible enough. Like it felt bizarre to me that a few years of just very intense study would dictate my entire life. And mm -hmm. I just I couldn't accept that. I thought there's got to be more than this. Um, 
but yeah, like you mentioned, degree apprenticeship. So it was almost like like the word that nobody wanted to use when I was at sixth form. Mm. Um, so I'm from like a fairly affluent part of North Oxfordshire and the 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 idea was that everybody would go down to Russell Group Universities mm-hmm. and you know you'd apply for Oxford or Cambridge and if you didn't it was like why are you you know that's so weird yeah like there's something wrong with you yeah, almost and exactly. um, so you mentioned studying business so just for context for our viewers mm-hmm. what were the A levels were you studying um, just to give a bit of an idea of where you felt your interest was starting to develop for careers and things like that sure um very very random um so i was somebody who wanted to do things based upon my interests Mm -hmm. entirely so um did a bit of english literature psychology core maths also did um a latin course as well so a little bit of everything um but yeah but i think so i feel that that's how education should be Mm -hmm. you should have the the autonomy to be able to shape it the way you want because we're not we're all different personalities, we're all individuals. So to say that everyone must be this cookie cutter, you must study these three Mm A-levels or, do you know what I mean? Even like uh, A-level combinations can be so frowned upon. Yeah. Why why are you picking that? That's so random, that's so left field. (laughs) Like for me, it was biology. Why are you studying biology? It's like, Mm. I'm interested in it. Why why is that not enough? Do you know what I mean? Exactly. I I know potentially I might not explore that route, but to me, if, if you're bothered about the grades, I know I can do well in it because I'm interested in it. Fundamentally, you'll only do well in something you're interested in, which boils down to even my decision to do an apprenticeship. I was interested in that career. And I feel like that's where you're able to find the motivation, even when you hit rock bottom, like you were saying, with your yeah. mental health. When you genuinely want to do something and you've got that desire, I don't feel like anything can stop you. When you hit rock bottom, I feel like that's often where you're able to really aim for the stars. And I think whilst what you went through was extremely challenging and I really commend you being able to get out of that particularly when you've got a pandemic and you know the system where you've got predicted grades working against you potentially if you aren't able to make up for lost time you still had a goal in mind even if people didn't understand that goal Mm -hmm. and were really able to just stay laser focused despite the noise around you at the time I really relate to that feeling of almost feeling like you're just having to constantly reassure yourself yeah. and talk, like be your own like coach and cheerleader in, in your head because everyone around you seems to be booing and throwing tomatoes at you. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I can do this. I just mm-hmm. need to, just need to show them. That's usually the easiest way, right? Just to show them. Actions always speak louder than words. And I feel like sometimes you have to draw a line with how much advice you take from people because fundamentally, if their interests aren't aligned with yours, they're really just projecting their own interests on you when it comes to advice, right? And adding adding to the advice part, right? 90% of advice is bad advice. <laughs> this is the truth, right? You ask 10 millionaires how they will become a millionaire, they're going to tell you 10 different ways. Mm. But they will all say, no, my, my way is the best way to do it this way because that's all they know. And again, you are a trailblazer. You have pioneered in a way that it's like, okay, you finish your higher education and then boom, you go into Oxford, Cambridge, Russell Groups. Now you're doing a degree in apprenticeship. What's this? And I think it's because people, they're not ignorant, they're just uneducated. And it's having people like you on our show that really can share light to parents as well and think, mm-hmm. okay, so Armina's from this environment, she, she's done this, she's come through all these different trials, and now where she's at. And I just have so much respect for you. Like, it's a really, and to talk about depression openly, it's really difficult because the people think, oh, I'm depressed, but there's a difference between being down and feeling depressed yeah. and there's a fine line between that 100 mm. percent. 
Yeah, and as you mentioned, it's sometimes so difficult to change the conversation, mm. particularly around degree apprenticeships, when mm. you're in an environment where nobody's really cheering you on. Um, yeah. So for me, that was really, really important. So when I kind of established that I wanted to do it, I spent sort of like the next three months um, working really, really hard just to try and do like mock exam after mock exam. And yep. probably within about a month, I did about 30 to 40 exams. So it was day wow. and night yeah. revision, which is so intense. Um, and like I finished the process thinking like, right, if I failed, I failed. Mm -hmm. I did my best in the end. Um, and like fast forward to results day, got there. I was like the last person there. There was nobody else there, I walked in and there was like no results there. So I thought, okay, that's odd. Went to the exams officer and she said, no, I've got your results here. So I opened it up and like through the folded sheet of paper, I saw an E and I thought, okay, fair enough. And then I opened it out and I saw a B and I was like, oh, like I didn't fail, like something actually worked. Mm -hmm. And from that moment, I thought, right, I can't give up. Like I've gotten this far, that yep. I need to do something about this. So naturally it took a gap year. Um, and I decided like at that point, I really wanted to build up my evidence portfolio and work on myself as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Just because I knew like at this point, my, grains, my grades sort of defined me in a way. And yep. I didn't want that to be the case. I wanted there to be more that I could present to a potential employer. Um, something beyond that so i'd love to hear more about what you did in your gap year because yeah. i think even gap years can sometimes be a taboo subject particularly if you aren't on a structured program people have this concern that you're just going to waste a year of your life yeah. but i feel like a gap year is what you make it to be 100%. and i'd love to hear about how you made your own gap year so for me at that point i'd started being quite involved in the charity sector it's something that i was really super passionate about mm -hmm. Um, and I started um, at the time a very small not-for-profit organisation um, called Help the World and very innocent childish name and I guess I started it with my friends and that sort of represents like how innocent we were at the time we just wanted to help the world um, and that's sort of grown to the present day quite a bit but during the time we were doing lots of things events fundraising events held one of the largest fundraising events in Oxford. So Amazing. about £50,000 raised from that single event. That's fantastic. Um, and to be organising something like that at like 18 was a massive achievement for me. And it kind of proved to me that I really want to be in the action, mm -hmm. involved in getting things done. Um, so it was around a lot of charity work, a little bit of part-time work, but it was more so a journey for me to, I guess, as cliche as it sounds, like find myself and just mm. regain who I was. Mm -hmm. And that fire that I had inside me, like pre-A-levels, I just really wanted to have that motivation to do something again. I love that. And so were you applying for apprenticeships uh, throughout your gap year? How did you find that experience navigating? Because yeah. naturally you were out of the school environment. So yeah. we've disputed how much support you, you get mm. when you're in the environment. But when you're outside of it, it really is down to you to basically find those mm -hmm. opportunities, right? How did you find that experience? That was very, very tough. Um, yeah, I, I had like no support at all. So I was completely navigating it by myself. Um, the most support I had was with conversations I had with people around job interviews and just the generic kind of yeah. advice that you get. Um, but even my school at the time, they sort of turned around and said, well, you're not part of our cohort anymore, so we can't really support you. So you're on your own with this one. Um, so it was tough initially. And I, I applied not thinking that I would get anything. Yeah. Um, and I just tried to go in with my achievements first and foremost. A lot of the degree apprenticeships that I wanted, I didn't have the grade requirements for. Um, so some of them faced a few rejections and some of them I ended up getting interviews for, which kind of gave me this moment of mm. thinking, well, maybe I'm not a complete failure. Like maybe I do actually have potential and employers are seeing that. Yeah. 
um, which like at the time was something just so weird for me to comprehend because it was like I've got B's and C's and these employers want want A stars and A's and potentially B's yeah. and I don't have that. So, Absolutely, I don't yeah. think people talk enough about the bubble that you're in yeah. within school, even in terms of values. Mm-hmm. I feel like your first exposure to what you think the world of work is going to be is school because naturally it's a pipeline to eventually prepare mm-hmm. you to yeah. get into the world of work. But that bubble is completely different. 100%. You're taught that grades are the be all and end all but now we're seeing big big companies scrapping even their grade requirements on degrees because Mm -hmm. they're recognizing that talent isn't just about grades and sometimes people's circumstances mean that at that moment at that moment in time they weren't able to get the grades but that's not a reflection on the fire that they've got inside of them and i think the pandemic really pushed that movement forward in a good way because people are like okay these guys have got all B's in their predictors, but they've got all A's in GCSE, so hang on a minute, how does that work out? And you actually speak to the person and find out what they've gone through. I think t- times are changing, and for the viewers at home, um, a lot of these big companies, right, we're talking, you know, Rothschild, we're talking Goldman Sachs, a lot of places like that, like huge investment banks, are scrapping their 2-1 requirement for their degree, and the 2-1's like a B, it's like a B grade. And they're saying that as long as you have the degree, as long as you get the pass. At the end of the day, right, all a degree really is, is saying that I've been here for four years, I've shown up, got my grade and I've done it. And it shows you to a potential employer that this person is motivated and has dedication. Yeah. And they can't just flunk it through exactly. being really good at an exam. And, and adding to your point of, I would say, coming from an area or just a background of being Asian, which Hayda's told me a lot about, I have so much respect and commendable because, you know, you guys' parents basically said my my child's life is so, so important that I'm going to give them the best opportunity possible. And Mm -hmm. then you have all these hurdles in school and it's so bubbly-fied and then your parents are thinking to you, hang on a minute, why why are you not doing what the school tells you to do? Because in their eyes, it's like the school is, you know, the school's word's final. And then you rebelling against that, like must be so difficult i personally never really went through that my parents were very uh let live and uh be you (laughs) and uh it it, it is i didn't have a lot of structure it was like go on you you do that you do what you want to do it's like i was like a child thrown into a sandpit and with a few tools make what you want that's a really great question actually um me personally i'm sort of from a second generation immigrant background so although i had some remnants of that experience um didn't quite probably have the same experience as some um, so most of my family have been to university, done degrees and all of that. So it's kind of the norm for all of us. Just that was the expectation. And my older sister had gone and done the same um, at Warwick. So for me to kind of turn around and say, like, I want to do a degree apprenticeship. They were like, well, what's that? Like, <laughs> that's a bit unconventional. Um, but also for them at the time, I guess, because I'd been through such a period of like feeling really low. I guess they were just relieved that I was doing something with my life Um, and like finally picked up that motivation so they were like do you know what just go for it like a great piece of advice my dad gave me um, during application season was to kind of treat it like any well-paying job um, just at a high level company and he said treat it like you're a private investigator almost go to the company website go to their LinkedIn profile go to their Instagram, if you will, and just look through absolutely everything, the activities that they're doing, their values, their ethos. And I guess that's taught a lot now as well. Like when 
applications mm. using and all of that but he said just do it to a whole nother level to mm. a level that you don't know anybody else is going to do yeah. um he said spend at least like if you really want this job spend a few days and just research the company inside out and get to know them and really understand where your values align with them yeah. even if it goes down to like very specific events that they've done so for me i was really involved in charity events so i'd go on linkedin have a look is there any kind of charity work that the company's done and then i could pick that up in my interview well actually i've seen you've done this um and this is something that i'm really super aligned with and i've done xyz in the past and then you're bringing in where you kind of fit in with the company and also like tangible evidence there yeah. as well i think your dad gave you great advice yeah. because research i can i cannot stress this enough is so key when applying for apprenticeships because of the competitive nature of apprenticeships naturally you need to stand out and again going back to this bubble in school sometimes a's and a stars aren't enough for you to stand out because if there's 20 candidates who also all have the same grades and there's only three spaces, how do you separate those individuals into what they could potentially bring to the table? And doing your research, you almost want to get across that you're already working for this company before you've got the job. See yourself as an employee, as someone who who knows what the company's being doing and how you can fit into that in your own unique way and show that you can really use that degree apprenticeship opportunity as a catapult for your career. So I think that's, that's super, super key. And when it comes to research, it's not about um, being like Wikipedia and just memorizing all these random stats and um, dates and uh, quotas, etc. It's about looking at what's relevant at top level, keeping up to date with things like news, uh, even like YouTube videos are a great way just to see what, what kind of projects the, the company's working on, look at their corporate channels, their LinkedIn, etc. It's a good conversation starter, particularly with your interview to show that you've come in with some different knowledge that perhaps the other candidate might not have had. And adding to that, in the interview, you've got to have the mindset of, okay, not will they hire me, it's more of they've got to hire me. You're an asset to their organisation. Think of it this way. If this company doesn't hire me, I'm going to go somewhere else. Not, I really need to get this job. If you go in it with that mindset and you can envision yourself working there, you'll have a significantly higher chance of being successful and landing the job. And bringing back to Hayda's point of doing your research on a company, you want to start from the top, follow the CEO on LinkedIn, look at all the events they've done in the last month, all the initiatives they're pushing, go on that, look in the comments, look at everyone who's commenting, who's probably worked there, then see what they're doing, and you can keep following it down. And reach out to other... If this company you are going to be working for as a degree apprentice, and there are other degree apprentices working there, there may not be, depends on the company you're applying for, reach out to them, because they've been through it. So like if you're running a marathon, right, who are you going to talk to? Someone who's already run the marathon, or someone's going to teach you how to run one, but they've never done it. You want to talk to someone who's done it before, right? Because then you have just first-hand advice. Absolutely. And don't be afraid to get across your personality in your interview. I feel like as, as young people, we have this view that we have to hide what makes us unique and we have to be this corporate robot in the interview and answer things to a script and have this memorized answer for each question. No, like be yourself. Even if you don't know the answer to a question, just say, can I just have a moment to think about that? Even mm. simple things like that, people feel like they can't say in an interview. An interview really is just a conversation. Yeah. That's really all it boils down to. And don't be afraid to show your personality. A, a, a funny story that comes to my mind when I was applying for my apprenticeship at Rolls-Royce was um, I was applying for a finance scheme. So you think accounting and finance, very logical, very got to be very scripted with your interview. But I knew that that was probably the trap most people would fall into. They'd probably have cue cards and be very polished and very organized. And I thought, what? 
can I do to stand out? Particularly because I didn't have many other apprenticeship offers, I really needed to make the point that I need to be the person they hire. And I loved art. So in my spare time, my creative hobby was drawing and just a completely different side of me that they would never have seen otherwise. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to hand draw a bunch of posters and really stand out and use a different talent that they're not going to see from an, another candidate to really get myself remembered. And it's so, it's so funny because at the moment, uh, at that point in time, it felt like such a risk, but actually my interview was my strongest stage and I really put that down to me being bold enough to show a different side of me. So one advice I'd give, uh, one piece of advice I'd give to young people is don't be afraid to show your personality in the interview stage. I can't stress that enough. And another great piece of advice my friend gave me was just to calm my nerves. She was like, just pretend you've already got the job. Like just pretend that you're just speaking to the interviewer and it's a very casual conversation. And that really helps to sort of bring down the whole nerves and everything. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's one of the main things that probably got me through that application process was just trying to be as casual and informal as possible while still retaining that slight element of um, professionalism. Absolutely. So yeah. tell us a bit about your apprenticeship journey so far. So I'm really glad that you were able to find that opportunity. And at a time where you'd felt more confident, because let's face it, if you went in after your A-levels, you might not have felt that same level of confidence that the gap year gave you. So I'd love to learn a bit more about your specific scheme at Mondelez and what experiences you've had. And tell us a bit more about your scheme and what you're, where you're studying at, for example, for our viewers. Sure. Um, so when I started initially, I had a whole different view of what I thought I'd be doing. Um, I mean, I had sales and I had chocolate and I thought, great, I'm just going to be going out and selling chocolates to people and taste testing it on the side. But it was so different <laughs> from that. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'd done a bit of catering in my gap year as well. So I had a little small desserts catering business. So I had very sort of practical um, experience with the food and beverage industry and not necessarily from like a commercial side of things. Um, so I guess I went into it very sort of driven, very excited for like a new chapter of my life. Mm -hmm. And because of that very low point that I'd faced, I almost had this like, unlike just like undying sort of um fire inside mm. of me to just really perform to the best standard I possibly could yeah. I wanted to take absolutely every opportunity and that's probably one of the main things that I'd like suggest to any new apprentice out there is take absolutely every opportunity that you can especially in your first year it's like such a low stress sort of year you mean like university doesn't usually count and, and you know you're still getting to know things so it's really good time to sort of give yourself as much exposure as possible did, did you find any blockers in your apprenticeship a big question we always get is okay i've just gone into this massive investment bank well i'm worried that the people there won't accept me and they come with that school mindset i think it's all very clicky like did you find that your colleagues your line manager or early careers in your actual organization mm -hmm. helpful to you i'd say definitely those first few months were actually really tough um, so started on very high spirits and then declined very quickly because I realised, wow, this is actually quite hard. Um, not what I was expecting at all. Um, but also there wasn't any sort of early careers like informal mm. support at the time at Mondelez because um, they'd only just relaunched all of their apprenticeship programmes. So that was something I thought at the back of my mind, I need to change that. Like, so that's something that I'm going to work on like later down the line, mm -hmm. um, which I have ended up relaunching the Early Careers Network. Amazing. Um, so that's been Good a stuff. massive achievement. But yeah, it's almost a sense of being like a fish out of water. Um, yeah. And I always say like, you're a small fish in a sea of big professionals and you just, it's so difficult to navigate. And I was doing my training with like grads who'd been through internships and who'd had maybe more experience than I had had. And I was sat there thinking like, are these things that I'm supposed to know as well? Mm -hmm. Like, why do I feel so out of my depth? Um, and it took a long time to mm -hmm. sort of 
get to grips with things and when I did eventually um it was just a brilliant feeling and my manager I can't fault her at all she's absolutely amazing um she's been sort of like my cheerleader throughout this whole experience and really really lucky to have her yeah yeah I think if we delve deep into that topic again it'd be another four-hour yeah. podcast <laughs> we can never get across all the questions we want to ask but I think one one key point I would mention is as an apprentice or just just a person in the workplace always find some outlet of service of giving back a lot of the points in my apprentice journey that I remember most fondly weren't actually to do with my qualifications or my my mm-hmm. my role it was actually what I was able to do that knowledge to give back for me it was going back to my old primary school my my old secondary schools and my old like sixth form because I went to different places just to show what was possible for people from that that background particularly because there wasn't really a lot of role models particularly male role models who'd done well out of that um sort of postcode so I think it's really important to yes strive for what you want to be but never forget to look back at how far you've come and how you can make it easier for the next person potentially like you to walk through the door and I think that's just something that will always just make you feel better and it'll give you a context to want to work harder because you know the harder you work the more you can give back it's like a never-ending cycle and that's a really important thing because you know in life it's about give and take and you know you probably think right if you're listening to this you're 20 years old or 16 years old you think oh i wish someone told me this when i was 16 or someone told me this when i was 12 and like relating back to myself so i started my tiktok just to show other people who are like 16 17 saying hey guys if you have autism if you were homeless or failed your gcse's three times then you can actually make this work is it going to be incredibly tough yes but it's possible because there's a tactic, there's a strategy. You're not going to get nowhere without a plan, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger said, you could have the best ship in the world, right? But if you haven't got a destination to sail to, then it's pointless. So just to wrap up, I think the final question I would ask you, Amina, is if you had a magic wand, what would you fix about degree apprenticeships or apprenticeships in general in the UK? That's such a good question. <laughs> Very broad. Um... For me, I think I'd probably want to change a lot of the conversation around degree apprenticeships um, and just the overall perception. Mm. I mean, as degree apprentices ourselves, we're sort of in this echo chamber where we think that the conversation is actually increasing and people know about them. But you kind of venture outside of your circles and you realise that there's still that stigma Mm. and not everybody knows about them. And I'm working with a fantastic organisation at the minute called Ace Insights, which is an apprentice based organisation working with lots of different um, students and also schools of different backgrounds to really try and change that conversation around degree apprenticeships, creating insight days, creating mentorship programmes and opportunities. Mm. And I think that's probably the main thing for me. I agree. There's so much more to be said around apprenticeships, specifically degree apprenticeships. If you're an organisation who's doing work in this space, please feel free to connect. Again, it's all about collaboration, not competition. We're trying. This is. I see this as a movement. It's going to take time, but it's, it's a admirable goal to have because I feel like the more people that know about these opportunities the more people can change their lives really particularly when the odds seem stacked against you I feel like degree apprenticeships are a game changer particularly from a social mobility perspective so yes more of that I love that that you're already involved in that space and you're doing so much to give back to other communities and causes that you're passionate about Thanks for watching the Apprentice podcast. New episodes will be available every Friday at 5pm GMT. If you enjoyed, then please leave a like and make sure to rate us five stars. It's been your host, Carlo. Take care.